Don't you just love it when you can confidently say that someone has your back? Hi, Dave Lee here, and that's the feeling I have with UCARE. Anytime I call them up with a Medicare question, I know without a doubt that a real person will answer, and they will work through my issues no matter how long it takes, and they won't hang up until I completely understand what's going on. Their people and customer service are second to none, and it's why UCARE has people-powered health plans. Don't hesitate to reach out to UCARE for help. Learn more at UCARE.org slash Medicare. This paid endorsement brought to you by UCARE. This past month, we have continued our Minnesota music series with some fascinating conversations about Minnesota's very own Bob Dylan. You can listen to them in their entirety at Apple, Spotify, TalkNorth.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. At my first concert with Dave Lee. Today, for those who have been asking about it, a review of some of the variety of conversations with those authors and musicians regarding Bob Dylan when we return the fascinating story of the Minnesota Blood on the Track session with one of the musicians, Billy Peterson. Our show is being brought to you by a number of good friends, including the Minnesota Propane Association, Aquarius Home Services from the AquariusHomeServices.com studios, by UCARE by the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, and by StarBank.net. Now, speaking of the Minnesota Propane Association, clean, affordable, reliable energy, we all want that. These are all the things that people want for their homes and businesses. The one source of energy in Minnesota that can offer all these benefits is propane. Clean, propane produces 43% fewer emissions than the equivalent amount of electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Affordable. According to the U.S. Department of Energy, propane costs approximately 30% less than electricity in the U.S. The savings can be even higher here in Minnesota. Reliable? Well, propane is energy stored on site, independent of the grid. Propane can power your home or business anytime you need it. Energy? Well, propane is also a direct energy source used at your home or business, and unlike electricity, which is produced somewhere away from your home. By the time electricity gets to your home, 66% of the energy used to produce it is lost. That is why propane is approximately three times more efficient than electricity. Propane, the right energy right now. For more information on what propane can do for you and the environment, go to propane.com. Billy Peterson is an award-winning musician. In fact, he was one of the musicians on an album considered by some among the best rock and roll albums of all time. Blood on the Tracks by Bob Dylan. Recently, Billy told us how it was a surprise when he showed up for the first day of sessions to find out who he was recording with that day. Also, a little more on the hit single from that session, Tangled Up in Blue, and how that came to sound like it does. Okay. Yep. David Zimmerman is Bob's younger brother, okay? Bob Dylan's younger brother. And David Zimmerman is a musician and a good musician, and he used to call me to, he used to produce demos and commercials, or he'd be producing a record for a singer or do something, but he would hire me, and he'd just say, hey, Billy, come on down to the studio tomorrow, I got a session, you know? And I lived uh, I lived in Richfield at the time, so the, the studio was uh, on 27th and 27th Sound 80 Recording Studios, right, where Dylan did that record. So I'd just come down, and I'd meet David, and I'd jump he wouldn't even tell me what it is I, I, you know he said come on come on down you know and it's okay what time you want me down there you know because i i 
I had my, my kids and stuff. I had to, you know, my wife was working. I come on down at one o'clock. So I, I come down, do his recording, and blah, 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 you know, knock it out in a couple hours. And then he'd have what he wanted and what he was hired to do. Well, this went on for years. I, I was working for him probably two or three years before Blood on the Tracks, early 70s, you know. And so one day, you know, he calls me, okay, come on down to the studio. <laughs> so I'm doing the same thing. Okay, what time do you want me there? Well, come on down in the afternoon. So I come down in the afternoon. I got my upright uh, bass. I'm hauling that. And then my bass guitar on. I don't know what he wants me to do because he'd have me, he produced all these different kinds of uh, people, right? So I was just ready, you know, gunslinging and ready. <laughs> so I, I go in, in through the door at Sound 80 into the main room, you know, kind of a, probably, I, you know, out working the night before. Maybe it, was a, it wasn't that early, I don't think, when we met that day. But uh, I walk through the door and all of a sudden I, I look and I see Bob in the studio. I'm gone. So I, I, I go... So I back out with all my stuff, and, it, and I'll never forget it. Uh, Davis, <laughs> Davis, sitting right here like this. I said, "Dave, that's not you in the studio. That's your super famous brother, man." I said, "What the hell are we doing here?" He said, "Come here." I couldn't tell you. He says, "If you know, if they knew he was here, he's like Elvis, you know." And and I said, "I said what?" He said, yeah, here's what's going on. <laughs> so no, none of us knew that he, because, I mean, if we'd have opened our mind, it would have been chaos, right? Yeah. So, so here we are in the middle of the dead winter at the recording studio. And I, 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 I give David a run. I said, Dave, what are we doing? And, you know, so I got an attitude. He says, well, we're going to recut some of his stuff, right? And I'm going, yeah, this is going to live. Sure, you know. <laughs> I said, how did he, so he got all, all these guys that, that David had hired before, you know, who are on the record with us, you know. Uh, so we're all in the studio together and we're all asking the same question. What's going on? <laughs> well, here's what happened to Dave says we, you know, Bob doesn't, he likes half the record, but he doesn't like half the record. And, he, I, and I told him to come home for, you know, Hanukkah or holidays or whatever. And we try it, you know, in the recording studio. So we started out slowly. I, I said, you know, I'm going. Yeah, right. This is gonna be this 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 is gonna work. So here we are, man. First, I can't remember the first tune we did. I, I, uh, it's it's in the book though, and I, I can't you know the sweet se se sequence of how we recorded them is kind of a blur. What day we did what, but those guys all remembered it good, and it's in, in the new book coming out. Uh, that's already out, by the way. You guys, it is me. out. Yeah, yeah, we we had Rick. Chef check, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Anyway, so back to the story. So it, we did one song, and I, again, I can't remember if you've tangled up and was it tangled up in blue? Might have been. But uh, you history of buffs will correct me on that, I'm sure. But, well, here's tangled up in blue. Uh, we, 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 we cut the song, and, uh, and we, we got done with it, and it, it was, you know, we, these guys were really good music. Bill Berg, who who was a jazz musician, we're all jazz at heart. And I think Dylan liked that, the fact that he he never had an attitude with us in the session. He was like open, like a little, he because I think his mom said, Gee, this is Jeannie's son or something <laughs> went on. Something had to go on. Cause he, Moms you heard have him, power, yeah. Yeah, you heard horror stories about him in the studio <laughs> with the musicians, you know, and I'm going... I'm just going. He's he's under the gun, man. He's got to get this stuff done. He's yeah. got five hundred thousand record jackets printed, 
And now he's he's in a, the release date is in, in a week, and he's still cutting. <laughs> you know, I'm going. Oh well, maybe this stuff will. It's got a chance. <laughs> he's under the gun to get this done, right? So he lo- he loved the first record. We cut Tangled Up in Blue and a little bit of uh, see a tip. Paul Martinson, the engineer on that, who I we all worked with uh, immensely, and and David Zimmerman loved Paul, and Paul was a beautiful cat and a, and a great engineer. So Dylan, we we used to do things, and uh, you guys will know that out in listening land here. They, they were called uh, safety masters. When you know we'd go to to sixteen track tape. I don't know if it was tw- was twenty four out and seventy four. Probably not. I think it was sixteen tracks, right? But we used to do a thing called Safety Masters, where the engineer would would uh, do a mix, and I think he's Davide's probably still does this, you know, just go because to remember where we were at, you know, yeah, like a faders up mix. Yep, yep, and and flying on the yeah. run when when the performance was going on because they they had it on multi track, but but a great engineer like Davide and these guys, especially in the old school days, would mix on the fly, yep. you know, and uh, so anyway. Uh, that the, the song we cut the first day, I think it was Tangled Up in Blue, and uh, Dylan came back later on, I'll tell you this story later, tried to remix this stuff, and he couldn't get it as good as as, as uh, uh, Paul Martinson's uh, Safety Master mix. So it's the safety, what do they call it? Yeah, Safety Master mm-hmm. that, that he ended up using. That's wow. what, what you hear. That's mixed live to two-track right there, baby. Wow, <laughs> they don't do that much anymore. Did you, you know? guys change anything on the song? Or? No, I think I think that one went down all the way. But you guys I, did not hear his previous versions, right? No, you didn't hear anything. We didn't want. I don't think he wanted us to. And and you guys like, uh, here's the charts. Play it. Well, well, geez, and then <laughs> well, we're playing "Tangled Up in Blue," and then Kevin Odegaard says, "Man," so Dylan, we, just, we start playing. He says. So Odegaard says, and, and Dylan's looking for input, man. Mm-hmm. He's, he, he, he needs to get this stuff done good. <laughs> so, so Kevin looks over and he says, man, I think it's the wrong key. I think we got to change the key. So I'm going, oh, shit, we're going to be fired now for sure. <laughs> you know? And Dylan goes, yeah, I think you're right. Let's try it. So we say, and then, and then so... In the song, David, you know, this is for you musicians. So there was a chord that it wasn't originally in the key of G. And so we we changed it to key of A. So I, I think Dylan played it open, but the, the the other two guitar players capoed up. And I was, you know, me, I'm playing the bass, so I, I don't care. You know, I, I can <laughs> play it. So I uh, I make the, the song in the key of, of G went to G to F, but I hung on to the G. And when we changed keys... You'll hear it in the in the song, and and uh, so I play this A. Early one morning, the sun would set. Well, I did. I played it I, when he made the change to the G, so it would be A to G, right? I stayed on A, so I made it a suspension chord where it kind of feels like it's full. I call it the floating chord, you know. And it and Dylan said, "Gee, I like that chord you're playing there." I said, "I'm not. I didn't change." I said, "You changed, you know." He <laughs> played the G. I just stayed home, you know. Yeah. So you'll hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm making. And he wasn't a suspension kind of a guy, right? Yeah. I mean, he was hardcore, you know. Yep. And so, I think that was one of the first, you know. And that was the jazz. I just said, "It sounds cool, man," you know, just to keep it like floating around. He's talk, talking all this story, so 
actually, you know, all the horror stories that I'd heard about Dylan and all of us had in the studio were not even apparent, man. He was mm. like, I remember Jake, Jacob Dylan was running around the studio. He was three or four years old and coming in, you know, and, and Bob was with him. And it was like this big family affair, man, you know. So it, w it was actually fun. I, well, it wasn't. We were working, right? But it was cool. There yeah. was no vibe going on. The only vibe that was going on is like input and Dylan listening to all this. These guys that 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 uh, David had hired, right? He Dylan's going. He doesn't know. You know, he doesn't know us from Adam. I think. I think his. He. I think probably David told. Uh, uh, um, Bob, that uh, Jeannie was my mom, and she knew Bob's. Jeannie knew Bob's mom through Wama, like Wama, like we talked about. And so there was maybe he said, "Hey, these guys can play, man. That's you know Jeannie's kid." I don't know, but there was none, nothing, no animosity, no everything was real cool. He was cool, man. You know, and all those horror stories were nothing. Did yeah. you have any idea of how massive? What you were doing was going to be. I mean, did you when after you got with Tangled Blue, you go, wow, that song. Well, I for for one thing, I thought this would wouldn't fly at all, man. You know, I mean, I'm going, geez, here I'm sitting with the biggest star in the world in a recording studio in the middle of thirty below outside, and who would have thought? How thunk, right? So all of us were thinking the same thing, and you know, Greg and Hoffer and and Kevin and, and all these guys, you know, uh, Peter Strusko. Wonderful musicians on this record, and we—we, I—I still think it's not going to make it. It's going to hit the, you know. Well, okay, day one goes by, and I think we hit "Tangled Up in Blue." But when we got done with "Tangled Up in Blue," we kind, kind of went, "Man, that was cool." And Dylan sang his ass off, you know, on on this. He was just not a lead, not a not nothing in the studio. He's in performance level. He, he's from. I'm, he's from me to here. We're all in one room together, right? He's got no lyrics. He's singing his ass off, right? And, and playing. And uh, that's how that went down the first day. The next day, he said, man, I, so we get to call the next day. Um, and the guys know the story a little better than me, but we, we get come back the next day because he dug what he heard, right? So he played playback, playback. Hmm, yeah, let's do another one. So... This happened between Christmas and New Year's in 1974, and there was three days, and I can't remember exactly, 28, 29, 30-something like that of December, and it's freaking cold out. It's a, it's a Minneapolis winter, Minnesota <laughs> it's winter. It's a real winter. Yeah, yeah it's a real winter, <laughs> yeah. And so it went on, went on, and I'll never forget, Dave comes out, and we're, we're in the studio, and we, we do, uh, uh, there's a cut on uh, that record, uh, Blood on the Tracks, called... Um, Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. Well, so, <laughs> so I'm sitting out in the studio with Bob, and we're all in the same place, and Dave pokes his head out the window. He says, he says, Billy, he says, just keep playing. When you think this song is done, it's not done, man. You know, just keep playing. And that, that was the direction that I got for the song. He, he, that, was, that was his producing, you know, then, and then he went and had a cup of coffee or whatever, you know. I said, oh, okay, I'll keep playing with Bob, you know. So, you know, it's this is a whole saga, this Lily and Rose. If, if, I don't know if you heard the cut. And it goes on for seven, eight minutes, and it's a story that is this convoluted. And again, not one lyric sheet, and he's, everything is, he's, I'm going, 
how does this cat remember all wow. this shit? You know, it's yeah. it was amazing to watch him perform on that level. You know what? And we we're all kids then. At twenty, I was twenty-two. He's thirty-two or something, right? What happened to that guitar you used on those sessions? You still have so, it? Uh, no. Uh, I played a Fender Jazz bass, I think, on... on uh, oh, I'd have to... I can't remember. I, did, I got rid of it. I, you know, it, it wasn't important. Like, like Ben Sidrono says, he said, let history decide. You just go do what you do and see, let, let it fall into place, let history decide. So that's what I did, and I didn't think of all that stuff, how valuable that would be no. as a collector, you know. Like, yeah, and back that time, collecting, was, I, I don't think it was it wasn't a big level deal. it's at yeah. now. You know? Yeah. So that's how that went, and those three days that we all recorded kind of took on a, a, a life of its own, and Dylan felt real comfortable with it. The title of this podcast is My First Concert, and Billy told us about another Hall of Famer who performed at the first rock concert he went to. The, the one I re really remember, and I had been playing, you know, with Willie, my father's orchestra at this time, but Jimi Hendrix came to town. Oh, my. And Jimmy came to town in 1968 and played the old Minneapolis Auditorium. And uh, I went to that concert, and I, I remember that. But like, I, like we were talking earlier, Dave, uh, I had done so many shows with my father, and I went, I went to another show uh, with him. And you said, well, I can't be with your dad or anything. But that Jimi Hendrix, I went on my own because I didn't <laughs> want to take my dad to that. Right? <laughs> Did he light his guitar on fire on that one? Oh, man, he sat in front. Uh, he had, I'll, I'll never forget it, he had 13 Sun amplifiers and like seven Marshall amplifiers. And in those days, they didn't have a, a, P, a PA system. They'd sing and they'd play through this stack of, of uh, 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 amplifiers. Yeah. Not like today where you see like uh, 100 Marshalls. Stacked up and they're all empty. You know that, right? They're all empty. Just yeah, they're playing through one. You know, and they get the best sound. Yeah, because David, you're the engineer. You know, they do that stuff. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Jimi Hendrix, man. That was yeah. He was. Well, it was great. I mean, he, that was his old band with Mitch Mitchell and Noel Redding. Uh, you know, before he, he went over to uh, the Electric Ladyland band a little bit later. So that that was the band that recorded Fire and. Uh, all those early Hendrix records that broke him after, you know, he had been out with the Isley Brothers before that, Jimmy, and then he broke out on on his own. And '68, I remember bringing the record. Uh, was it was the record Fire David or, or what? Uh, are oh. you experienced? That was it, I think. Yeah. Back in the '67, and, and Hendrix hadn't hit here at all. But I was out in L.A. in '67 with my my parents at my cousin's house, and they were listening to Hendrix, and I said. This is this is cool. This stuff is so cool. You know, Axis Bold Love, and I I brought the actual brought the record back here. And nobody had heard it. And I remember playing it down in my mother's basement there in in Richfield. You know, playing it from all my friends. Say, man, what is this? This is cool. You know, <laughs> one of the great bass players in all of America. That is Billy Peterson with us here on my first concert. It's brought to you today by our friends at AquariusHomeServices.com. Check out their website when you get a chance and know that with fall down full swing and temperatures are dropping daily, furnace season is definitely here. So you want to make sure yours is up to another long, cold winter. And I want to mention Aquarius Home Services good news right now. They just extended their fall blowout sale through November 18th. That is good news. 
know what that means. 25% off. That's a good chunk of change there. Off their whole home heating and cooling systems, which is excellent to begin with. You have 25% off a new furnace and AC system. I know because that's what I have in my home. I want you to visit AquariusHomeServices.com. Jeff and the staff would love to hear from you. And at least schedule your free in-home consultation and enjoy that cozy, comfy home all winter long. Aquarius, earning the right to be recommended. Oh, by the way, make sure you check them out for a furnace tune-up as well, which is a smart thing to do this time of year, if you already haven't done that, by the way. Billy Peterson had mentioned the Blood on the Track sessions. Co-author Rick Shefchik of the new book, Blood in the Tracks, is the story of that iconic album and its Minnesota recording sessions. The Minnesota musicians were not recognized for their contribution to one of rock's best albums, including the classic Tangled Up in Blue, until 2018. But it's got great Minnesota connections. Tell me about this book that you've been working on and is now available and has been getting rave reviews. You are Electric Fetus and... And uh, the books were almost gone by the time you showed up. <laughs> well, I, I co-wrote Blood in the Tracks with uh, Paul Metza. And uh, and Paul was the one who uh, initiated this idea. Uh, he had interviewed all of the six musicians from Minnesota who were brought in to re-record half of the Blood on the Tracks album back in 1974. And uh, at, at the time that he did these interviews, uh, actually earlier... Uh, some of them were were done before Blood, uh, More Blood, More Tracks was released. That's a six CD set of every existing take, uh, both from the New York sessions and the uh, Minneapolis sessions that uh, went into the album Blood on the Tracks. Um, and some of the other interviews were conducted after that uh, box set came out. The significance of that is... Um, the six musicians from Minnesota did not get credit for their work on the album. Uh, their names never appeared on the CD. And uh, if you buy the single CD of Blood on the Tracks, their names still aren't there. But at least they finally got official credit from Columbia on this six CD set. So uh, Paul had all of these uh, interviews with the musicians, both before they got credit and after they got credit. And uh, it it made for a, a real good bunch of stories and Paul was trying to figure out what to do with it and uh, ran into uh, a friend of his the uh, literary agent Michael Croy and uh, Michael thought that uh, there was a definite possibility for a book and but he thought Paul might uh, benefit from having a co-author so uh, I was spending the winter in Phoenix a couple years ago and Paul gives me a call and says would you like to get on board with this and uh, at first I thought, well, you know, a lot of this information is already out there. Uh, Kevin Odegaard, who played guitar on the session, uh, had written a book called A Simple Twist of Fate. And it was about the recording sessions uh, in Minneapolis at the Sound 80 studio. And I'd read it and I thought it was terrific. But what the book didn't really cover was uh, biographies of the six musicians. Uh, really didn't go very much into depth as to what their... Uh, professional background had been uh, why they ended up getting chosen to be on this on uh, these two nights of sessions and then what happened to their lives afterwards you know did recording with Bob Dylan change their lives did it improve their lives uh, you know where'd they go what happened to them and I thought well there's a lot of meat there that I would really enjoy getting into so I told Paul yeah let's let's go ahead and do this 
Um, and so I spent uh, over a year uh, researching and uh, inter- re-interviewing the musicians. Unfortunately, two of them died right after we started doing the book. Uh, Chris Weber and Peter Ostrushko, uh, I think, died within six weeks of each other. Mm. Um, so, But fortunately, we had Paul's transcripts, and he'd interviewed both of them a couple of times. So uh, between that and re-interviewing the other four who were still surviving, uh, you know, I think we came up with a really good narrative of both what it was like to record with Bob Dylan, but also we contrast um, this idea that... Uh, that by re-recording songs that had been laid down in a New York studio with New York studio professionals, that somehow or another, uh, the five songs that came out of Minnesota were inferior in some ways. There, there is an industry and even a critical thought that um, the original version of Blood on the Tracks would have been better if they'd left it untouched. Um, I disagree with that. Paul disagreed with that. Um, and there are a number of uh, critics who have listened to the album over the years and come to the conclusion that uh, that it's a much better album because these five songs got re-recorded in Minneapolis. And we make a very strong case for the fact that these these musicians may have been anonymous to people outside of the Twin Cities, but their professional backgrounds uh, and training uh, were every bit as good as the musicians that Bob Dylan used in New York City. And uh, and the rapport and the camaraderie that he had with Minnesota musicians is, is palpable on the record. Uh, the, the sessions went much more smoothly. Um, he had clearly a better connection um, and working relationship with the, uh, with the local guys. So not only was their professionalism uh, first rate, but it was that little extra DNA that we call it that he shared with these Minnesota guys that I think really pushed the record over the top. By the way, what was author Rick Shefchik's first concert? It was the Beach Boys at the Duluth Arena Auditorium on August 13th, 1966. I was 14 years old. um, And a lot of these details, um, I would probably be able to pull out anyway. But one of the great things about the internet and and a very popular band is you can go online now and basically search every concert that the Beatles ever played, the Beach Boys ever played, Bob Dylan ever played. And, And these were the three big artists of my growing up years. You know, I was a teenager all through the 60s and it was the Beach Boys, the Beatles and Bob Dylan for me. I loved many other kinds of music, but uh um, the Beach Boys were the first concert I ever went to. I went with my older brother, Mark. Uh, he was three years older than I was. And uh, this was almost payback because uh, the previous summer, um, August of 1965, Mark had gone to see the uh, Beatles at uh, Metropolitan Stadium. When we return, authors Mark Perkansky and Matt Steichen from the book Bob Dylan in Minnesota share a few more Dylan nuggets. Speaking of music, there's some great concerts out at the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, and you should check out the concert series. I know some of the great ones coming up here in November, Wild Angels, which is the women of rock, pop, and country. The Michael Jackson Family Reviews coming up, Rainy Days and Mondays, which is the music of the Carpenters at the Chanhassen Dinner Theater, uh, tribute to Sting and the Police. 
A three tenor Christmas is coming up here. Christmas with a whole lot of soul will be the middle of December. And then an Andy and Bing Christmas, which is always a favorite toward the end of December. Then you go to the main stage. Jersey Boys is playing there. Michael Brundisi, Brundisi who's done a great job in all these shows for the year, many years he's been there as director. This one, uh, this one might be toward the top. It's a great performance of the Jersey Boys. And now on the main stage. Stevie Ray's Comedy Cabaret going strong. And also, what you want to do is make sure that you go to ChanhassenDT.com and get a schedule of events and booking some of the stuff. And for my concert friends, I've been to many concerts over there. It is an awesome venue. ChanhassenDT.com. Mark Perkansky and Matt Steichen are two of the authors of the book, Bob Dylan in Minnesota. Mark knows Bob. And Matt has been a Dylan scholar since he first heard him, and then eventually seeing his first Dylan show in Sioux Falls years ago. Among the many nuggets is a tribute from Bob Dylan to Bobby V. For a short time, Bob Dylan, then at that time known as Elston Gunn, played with Bobby V in Fargo-Moorhead shortly after Dylan graduated from Hibbing High School. <laughs> Have you done any research on Elston Gunn and all that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I, mean, I think I know the basic story that, you know, Bobby V took over on the winter dance party uh, in, you know, that winter. I guess that was in February. And so that summer, Bob was out of high school, graduated from Hibbing in May. And then he kind of had a lost year and a half there that is never mentioned in, in very many biographies. Mm-hmm. He didn't head straight to New York. He headed uh, to Fargo and he got in with Bobby V's guys and played a couple of concerts. And they said that he could only play in the key of C and that he really liked to do hand claps. So they played the two shows together. And, and Bobby V said, what's this new guy doing? Because he came up to the mic next to Bobby V and started doing... <laughs> you know, doing the hand claps. Yeah. And it turned out that, you know, they liked having him around and everything. He had a good attitude. But um, a lot of the halls either didn't have pianos or just had old out of tune pianos. Right. And they, and they couldn't bring their own piano along. So Bob didn't really end up uh, fitting in there. So he played a couple of shows. And actually, were you at the show in 2013 at Midway? State? By the way, let's learn about Mark Perkansky's first concert. So my first concert was, uh, no one wants to guess, huh? All right. <laughs> And it's not Bob Dylan. It's not Bob Dylan. No, so I'll tell you that Who right now. Who your mother dated, correct? Yes, okay, yes. We'll talk about that but, later. Yep, but it's not Bob Dylan. And uh, Now, I do talk about Bob Dylan's, my first Bob Dylan concert in the book thoroughly. We yep. can talk about that later. But so here I am. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to tell you the date. I'm born in 66. The date was June 18th, 1972. And it was in town here. It was in... Alice Cooper. You're getting close. I did see him. Welcome to my nightmare tour. I was about, was yeah, little I'm boy 18 there and all that stuff. Yeah. Love that. Yes. So, um, okay. So it was in Bloomington. Does that tell you which venue? Well, it was at the Met Center, probably. Yes, correctly. Metropolitan Sports Center, the yeah. gray building. What did they have? Yeah, the, the one they couldn't tear down. Remember, they tried to demolish it. It wouldn't go down. It had no windows, did it? No. And it Four looked doors. the same on all sides, so you don't remember where you parked, depending upon what you did once you were in the concert. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, was it there as long as the, the, the stadium was where the Twins played and the Beatles played in the 60s? In the 60s of Beatles course. Beatles played at the at Met Stadium. Next door where the Twins next played. Door. Were they built together? I mean, they're uh, there they were built together, but they were close to one another. Close to one another. Yeah. So that building is my first experience. It happened there. Okay. And um, went to a lot of concerts there. Um, so it's 1972. I'm six years old. I'm in the, I'm in the, I get my mom. I went with my mom, maybe my older sister. I think she was there. Definitely my mom took me. Okay. We were sitting up a ways in this full house. It holds what? 18,000. Mm-hmm, somewhere okay, in, somewhere in there. I'm a little boy. I'm six years old now. Yep. Literally six. 
And I'm, I felt like I was like in another part of the world far away. Like how close were we allowed to get to the artist? Yeah. <laughs> it looked like a little blip. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm there and I remember it. And, and no was, big screens. No big, no big screens, yeah. no cell phones, lighters. Yeah. None right? of that stuff. Smoke. Yep. Lots of it. The weed. Yeah. Which That's is first time you smelled it probably, right? Yeah, maybe. My mom said, we'll go to that later with my mom. All right, take okay? it Because <laughs> it was always around. She'd be very happy. She passed away, but she'd be very happy right now to know about this new law. Okay. Yeah. Her and Willie Nelson would be <laughs> running down the street, you know. Yeah. Hey, we're here. Okay. So uh, that smoke, I remember and all that. We're in the seats. We had pretty good seats. And okay. So here's who it is. It was a band. You ready? Mm-hmm. The drum roll, please. The Rolling Stones. Oh, come on. With your first concert. Stevie Wonder. And I believe Billy Preston might have opened. I'm not sure on that, but Stevie Wonder definitely. The Stones Touring Party, it was called. 1972 American Tour. A big tour. And I didn't know a thing about the Rolling Stones. I'm six <laughs> years old. How much could I have known? Right. Okay, right? So I think my mom told me, this Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. All right, cool. <laughs> I remember thinking he was the coolest guy on earth. Yeah. What a rock star. What a rock star. He wore the shirt. I think he had the shirt open, which I copied from that day on in my high school <laughs> pictures. I'm wearing a shirt open. I'm a little, you know, and it's yeah. open. Gino it, Vanelli type of shirt. Yes, it was. Yes, exactly. So Mick Jagger, I remember going on Mick Jagger. Loved it. They did a full concert there. The book is titled Bob Dylan in Minnesota, and it's available now. You know what else is available now? Alone at StarBank.net. StarBank is a Minnesota bank. You know, they have 10 locations throughout the state. Been going strong for many, many years and still family owned. They started out in the ag business with one bank. They now, as I mentioned, have 10, including right here in the metro area of Minneapolis, St. Paul. I would have you know the turnaround time on a loan to Star Bank is second to none because there's no red tape or any monkey business. Once you apply for that loan and submit your documentation, away you go. It's a home equity line of credit, a home mortgage you might need, a business loan, ag operating or equipment loan, even a loan for a camper, or how about an RV you've been thinking about? They do handle it all, by the way. I would encourage you to get your loan needs met at Star Bank, our bank here at TalkNorth.com. Star Bank is family-owned, as I mentioned, Minnesota-based, and they will answer the phone when you call. They will. They would love to see you inside the bank. You'll get to know the people. They certainly will get to know you. It's convenient, too. And if you want to do it high-tech and just work off the computer or your phone, that's easy, too, right? Loans are subject to a loan application approval. Just know they're really good. StarBank.net, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. All the podcasts are available at Apple, Spotify, or TalkNorth.com, or wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe when you can. Broadcasting from the Aquarius Home Services Studio and brought to you by UCARE, the Minnesota Propane Association, StarBank.net, and the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters. This is Dave, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Yeah.